Welcome to our December 27th service. The waiting is over. Jesus has come. We rejoice in the Incarnation, God in the flesh, God with us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise the Lord in the heights. Praise the Lord, all God's angels. Praise the Lord, all God's host. Praise the Lord, sun and moon. Praise the Lord, all you shining stars. 
Praise the Lord, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Praise the name of the Lord. God's glory is above earth and heaven. Praise the Lord.
please bow in a word of prayer. Our God, we come before you this morning ecstatic, so close to Christmas, so soon after seeing you born as a child all those years ago, knowing just what that means, that you, our God, would come down to be human like us. Lord, every time we think of it, it blows our mind. It, it opens our eyes to what true love can be. God, we say thank you. But also, our Lord, while we are so excited about this, we want to also pray for all of those who are missing something this season as well, who are missing the gatherings that would be taking place, who would be missing the face-to-face contact, missing all of the many rituals that normally make this time of year feel like this time of year, that are feeling loneliness. God, we pray for each and every person that is feeling this way. God, we pray for each and every person that this year just seems off for, and that is a lot of people. Lord, we know that even though in many ways everything seems very different, nevertheless, you are not. You are still there. You were still born as that child in the manger all those years ago. Whether or not we can meet in person, whether or not we can see each other face to face as we so long for, none of that changes the fact that God You are still with us. And so we pray, our dear Lord, that we focus in on that. Every year we spend so much time going on about how the meaning of the season is that you came to this world. So God, we pray that those words sit with us particularly meaningfully now. Lord, this we pray. And God, we also want to thank you so much for your word particularly everything that is in the Old Testament that leads us up into the manger that we see this Christmas season. Page after page, chapter after chapter, book after book, everything is just leading up to your birth. And God, we want to thank you so much that you, frankly, that you put in that much effort just to reach out to us. Lord, it means so very much, and we pray that it is impressed upon us just how radical, how overwhelming that is. God, we pray this Christmas season that it changes us, that it helps us see you in ways new. Lord, this we pray. And God, we also want to pray that while our eyes right now are firmly on the manger, Nevertheless, they do not stay there for too long. Instead, God, we pray that you help us look out from that moment of pure beauty as well, out to where you are now, out to where you will be when you come again. Our God, we pray this season that we take that message from the manger and that we use it to drive us forward, to build your kingdom, to reach out to the nations around us in your name. God, this we most certainly pray as well. In your name, we pray all of these things. Amen. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 40. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, 
and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. For this week's sermon, I am happy to present you with Leighton Friesen, the conference pastor of the EMC. Uh, this is a pre-recorded message that he sent out to all of the different churches so that across our conference, across our country, uh, we could all listen to the same wonderful, uplifting words this Christmas season. Please enjoy. Hello. I greet you this Christmas season in the name of our Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Today we're going to gaze into a glorious mystery. And in the presence of mystery, our first response should be to ask God to let us in. And then, once we are in, to simply be quiet, be silent, and adore. I think as Christians, our instinctive response to mystery is adoration. I'm thinking today of this beautiful story we have in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. It's a, it seems like a humble little story, and we often go through Christmas without spending nearly as much time on it as we do with some of the other earlier parts of Luke. Until now, in the story that Luke tells us, there's been some big drama. Nearly every scene until now involves some kind of angel bursting through the veil and surprising Zechariah or Mary or the shepherds on the hills with some kind of stunning announcement. Jesus is born to thunderous shouts in the sky, set ablaze with angelic light, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. But now we come here to this passage, and it's a scene that's much more plain. We see two poor peasants approaching the steps of the temple. They have come simply to do their duty. They are here to do what Jewish parents are supposed to do when a baby is born, and they are going to do it. 
There's no trumpet fanfare. There's no chorus of angelic song as they make their way up the steps to the temple. These are just two probably quite young people walking to the temple to do their duty. One of them is carrying a newborn baby, and the other one is carrying two pigeons. But I think hidden in this quiet little visit, the ages are turning. One age is ending, and another one is about to begin. Let me explain to you what I am seeing here as Mary and Joseph carry the baby Jesus into the temple. You could think of this as a continuation of the birth of Jesus. Jesus had been born into the world on that night in Bethlehem. But today, in this story, Jesus is being born into Jerusalem. God is descending down into the depths of his people Israel and is becoming not just human flesh, he is becoming Jewish flesh. Jesus is, is being brought down into the history of his people. Jesus is being taken into this great tradition with all its ancient laws and ceremonies. Mary and Joseph are taking Jesus, we might say, down into the Old Testament. He is being taken down into the Exodus. Jesus is going down into the Red Sea here. He is going up to the Mount of Sinai, where God met his people in the wilderness to give them the law. Jesus is entering into the tabernacle that they built in the, in the uh, wilderness. Jesus is being swaddled in the clothes of the book of Leviticus with all of its strange, mysterious rites and laws. Jesus is being born an Israelite in this story. We are told over and over in this passage that this was all to fulfill the law. And of course, that has two meanings. This was to fulfill the law in the sense of keeping the law, and also in the sense of bringing the law to its beautiful fulfillment. This was fulfilling the law in the sense of being what the law always really was grasping for. Jesus, Luke is showing us, is going to be somebody who redeems Israel from the inside out. Now we are told that Mary and Joseph are going to be purified. And we could ask, why is Mary needing to be purified after giving birth to Jesus? The simplest answer would be to say that she's doing this because that's what a Jewish mother is supposed to do, according to Leviticus chapter 12. But what's really going on here? What, what does Jewish purification mean for a young mother? According to one Jewish rabbi from the Middle Ages, the woman needed to be purified because of all the profanity that had happened in the delivery. Now, some of the, uh, some of the fathers in our midst might appreciate the rabbi's point, but this, is not, this has not been the consensus view of the scholars. From the study that I have done on this, it seems that purification in ancient Israel had a lot to do with danger. From what I can tell, they understood that to go into labor and delivery was to, was to go to that border between life and death. It was to leave the place of order, to leave the place of safety, even in a sense to walk to the edge of creation, to that border between creation and chaos. And then to struggle to come back from that place of chaos carrying new life. But having been to this wild place on the edge of chaos and disorder, the woman now needed to be reordered. She needed to be brought back into civilization, into, into creation, as it were. And the temple, of course, was the center of creation. It was the place where God lived. To enter the temple carrying these gifts of, of two pigeons as a sacrifice was to return again to a God-ordered, God-centered, God-protected 
uh, life. Well, if this is really what it meant, then we who know what Jesus' story ended up being can only sit here in wonder and amazement. Mary is coming to be purified in the temple, but she is carrying in her arms somebody who will bring about a new creation. Somebody who in his very own body is going to be the new temple, the new place where people can be reordered in a new creation, the place where God will dwell with his people and be with them. His body will be the place where chaos is defeated. There's a profound mystery going on here. As Colossians chapter 1 tells us, in him, in Christ, all things were created and all things hold together. Well, it also tells us that they were presenting him to the Lord, as it says in verse 22, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. This goes back to that night in Egypt when God demanded the life of every Egyptian firstborn, but spared the life of every Israelite firstborn. On that night, on that Passover night, just before Exodus in, uh, from slavery. Now, when God spared the Israelite firstborn on that night, he said, Okay, in return now, every one of your firstborn sons belongs to me, as well as the firstborn offspring of your animals. And so, like every other firstborn son in Israel, Jesus belonged to the temple. He belonged to God. But as the law provided, and as God provided for, uh, a mother and a father could, in a sense, rent their son back by giving God an offering of a lamb, or if they were very poor, uh, two pigeons. But again, those of us who know what's going on here, who know how this all ends up, we can only be silent in adoration. There's a profound mystery here. The baby Jesus is being given to God here. He's being given to the temple as Mary's firstborn son. But Colossians chapter 1 tells us that Christ is the firstborn of all creation. He is the firstborn son given to God so that all of creation can walk free of its slavery. Well then, as Jesus is being carried into the temple, he is met by, by two Old Testament saints. Two Old Testament saints come to meet Jesus. Simeon and Anna are their names. And these two elders, we could say, they represent the entire Old Testament tradition that is now standing to cheer as Jesus is carried into the temple as its long-awaited Messiah. We're told these are very old people. The Old Testament, we could say, has become old here. Long has it waited and waited for its promised deliverance of Israel. Simeon and Anna are the last in a long relay of saints who have passed along the promises, passed along the stories, passed along the hope, waiting, waiting, waiting. They are literally the Old Testament standing finally to bless the Messiah who has finally arrived and to hand off its Messiah to the world. And, they, and these two Old Testament saints, they have three words that they speak on behalf of the entire Old Testament. Simeon, we are told, was righteous and devout. He was a man who had spent his life living on his tiptoes, waiting for the Messiah. He had this feeling, this inner knowledge given to him by the Holy Spirit, that he was going to be the last one 
in this big, long relay. And when he takes Jesus into his arms, his words, we could say, are the words of Abraham and Sarah. These are the, the words of Moses and Joshua. This is what David and Bathsheba would have said if they had been, able, if they had been standing there. These are the words of all the saints of old who have been watching and waiting. Now, the whole Old Testament speaks together in the voice of its very last representative. And the Old Testament says, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The Old Testament is, as it were, shouting at this point. It's saying, there, this is what we were getting at. This is what we meant. This is what we meant when we told you the story of, of Noah. This is what we meant when we were uh, putting up the tabernacle. This is what we were trying to say in all those proverbs and in the wisdom literature. Now you can dismiss your servant in peace because this is what we were going, this is what we were reaching for. Well, Joseph and Mary, they're absolutely flabbergasted by this. I mean, what kind of baby do we have here anyway? But then Simeon kind of pauses and he has some rather dark words to give to Mary as well. And I think as he says these words, we can imagine that he is speaking here again for the whole Old Testament heritage. This is a wisdom that has been gained by God's long struggle with his people. In many ways, this was a, a miserable, wretched struggle where God had reached out to his people for centuries in the law. He had reached out to them in the kings. He had reached out to them in the worship liturgy of the Psalms and so forth. God had been giving himself to these people in all kinds of ways. But whenever God had reached into the lives of his Old Testament people, there had been both a rising and a falling. There was both worship and revolt. And these patterns, they were now so old and the groove is so deep that Simeon, speaking now for all who have gone before, he says, if this is Israel's Messiah, then we know what's going to happen. This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed to the inner thoughts of, and, and the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And then he says to Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul also. I mean, how would you like to have that said about your newborn baby? This baby, Simeon says, this baby is going to split the crowd wherever he goes. I think this is the last great prophecy of the Old Testament. This is what the tradition has learned from bitter experience, that whenever the consolation arrives, when the deliverance finally appears, Israel will be goaded to both worship and to revolt. And this is a, this is a dark, foreboding word. But I don't think it takes one wisp away from the, from the incredible relief and thanksgiving that Simeon expresses in seeing this Messiah as well. So the Old Testament has spoken here a word of relief and thanksgiving. Secondly, it has spoken a word of foreboding, of division and sword. And then the third Old Testament voice comes to the fore in Anna. Anna was a prophet. She proclaimed the message of God to anybody who would listen. She was somebody who stood in this long line of prophets. You could think of Isaiah and Jeremiah, Micah, Malachi, and so forth. All of these prophets who had suffered 
throughout their long lives to speak the truth of God to his people. All of them now, all these prophets, they come to their final oracle, their last prophetic announcement, their final, this is the, the final summation and climax of everything that they have said. They find that in, in Anna, this prophet who we are told never left the temple, but she worshiped there with fasting night and day. Wow, wouldn't you just love to have talked to this, uh, this woman? Uh, and asked her, Anna, what is it that you were praying for all these years? Why did you resolve uh, when your husband passed away so many decades ago after being married only seven years? Why did you decide at that point that you were never going to marry again? What was it that drove you to your knees day after day after day for all of these decades, Anna? What were you, what were you grasping for in all of that fasting that you were doing all this time. Could it really be, Anna, that this baby being carried in here by this humble peasant couple is the one that you have been pleading with from God all these long decades? Well, at that moment, at the moment that Anna saw this baby, she saw it and she began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Israel. So here is this elderly prophet and we can imagine in her, in her uh, joyful proclamation to all people, we can imagine the whole Old Testament kind of bursting into song as Jesus is carried into the temple. And here are all the great psalms of worship with the, which these saints have been singing for centuries. It's suddenly, in this great prophet, the whole tradition just opens its eyes and realizes, yes, it's him, it's Jesus, this is the one that we have been waiting for. This is the one that we have been adoring and worshiping all these years. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him all his angels. Praise him all his hosts. Praise him sun and moon. Praise him all you shining stars. Praise him. And so church, as we hear what these Old Testament voices are saying about this baby, I think we also need to ask the Lord, Lord, won't you please take me into this mystery? What I find so astounding about all of this is that when God comes to save his people, as he is doing right here, when God comes to save his people, he does not say to them, Oh, you silly folks, you got that all wrong. You know, get out of the way once already. Let me do this. Let's start this whole thing over from scratch. God doesn't do that at all. This is not how God brings salvation. By Jesus going into the temple like this, by these Old Testament saints standing to meet him and to rejoice at his arrival, God is saying to us, I do not make any mistakes. I never need to start over from scratch when I set about to save the world. The plan that began with Abraham, the plan that was carried out through Moses and David and Ruth and Esther and all of the prophets and, and saints of old, this is still the plan that we're working on here in Jesus. Yes, many times it did look as though the plan was on hold. Maybe it looked like the whole plan had gone to the scrap heap of history as Israel was scattered to the nations in exile, but the plan remained the plan. God says, I do not make any mistakes. I do not need to start over. And so Jesus came and he entered into this whole mysterious plan and then he brought it to an incredible conclusion in the crucifixion and resurrection. 
He did this in a way that no Old Testament saint would ever have imagined could be possible, except that this is how God always seems to work. God picks up where these Old Testament saints left off, and he brings the whole enterprise home. And when God does something like that, the best response for us is to simply say, Lord, could you bring me into that mystery? Could you take me in, Lord, into the inside of it so that I could sit quietly and simply adore this baby? And so all we can do, I think, all we should do in this wondrous night is to simply worship Jesus. That is what I think we are being invited to do here this, in, this, in this passage. Amen.
Our benediction comes from the book of 2 Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go now and serve our Lord. Merry Christmas.